I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. And you're listening to Spirited Spirits. familiar with the story of the Axeman of New Orleans? Uh, the only way that I am familiar of that story is when we watched American Horror Story Season 3 Coven, mm-hmm. and he was in that. Okay. I, I knew the story before that, but not, not a lot. Okay. Well, I think we had also at one point watched BuzzFeed Unsolved. And oh, yes. Yes. The Axeman. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, obviously in American Horror Story Coven, they took a lot of liberties. They, I mean, they took the basic story and premise of what had happened and then they kind of expanded upon it and, um, the witches, like, I guess, trap the axe man, like kill him and then his soul is like trapped and that's what stopped the killings. Okay. So tonight we're actually going to really get into the true story about what happened, um, the people who were attacked and some who were killed, um, and some potential suspects. Okay. You ready to dive in? Yeah. Do we want to talk about what we're drinking tonight? Oh, yeah. So, uh, we just decided to do the axe murder cocktail that we've Which done before. Very, it's very, you know, prev- I mean, not prev- It's good. It's, it's a good. nice one. So, um, if you listen to our Velisca axe murder episode, we drank this cocktail. Um, although we did Maker's. 46. And now we're doing Brothers Bond. Bourbon. Now we're using Brothers Bond. I actually went um, last week. Ian Sommerholder and Paul Wesley were in Louisville doing a bottle signing at a uh, liquor barn here in town. And then they were here for uh, Bourbon and Beyond. Mm-hmm. Which you went on Thursday. I went Thursday. Well, I went Wednesday to the bottle signing. And yeah, that was a whole story. But I did not... <laughs> I would have never made it if I continued to stand in line. And so I cheated and went into the store pretending to buy quote unquote wine. <laughs> but, <laughs> and so I actually got to see him in person and that was awesome. Like see Ian and Paul. Um, yeah. <laughs> shush. I went with my bestie, Sarah, and we met some amazing girls there while we were there. It was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, we went to uh, Bourbon and Beyond on Thursday, and mm-hmm. um, I had some different cocktails there um, at the Brothers Bond tent, like their little right. area. Um, so anyway, I had bought a bottle of bourbon. It wasn't signed. I mean, it's technically signed because their names or their signatures are on the label. It's but... just stamped on there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like they actually signed it, but that's okay. Um, so we're enjoying some Brothers Bond tonight, and... Um, including it here in this cocktail. And then we used some pomegranate juice. It was like unfiltered. Um, so it's not quite as bright red. As right, the I think it's still before. good. It's great. It yeah. tastes great. So let's go ahead and jump in. Sounds good to me. 
So the incidents mainly took place from May of 1918 through October of 1919. Okay. And although there were similar killings a few years before, back in like 1911, and there were some killer killings afterward um, that were kind of similar, researchers, t- they basically believe that the crimes committed between 1918 and 1919 were committed by the same person. Okay. Although there is some theories that there could have been copycats, and we'll we'll go into that. Okay. But there were 12 attacks in total from May through October, 1918, 1919. Six people were killed. Okay. And these were the ones that were attributed to the Axeman. Okay. Um, so this killer attacked at night while people were asleep in their beds, and he used people's axes against them or in um one case there was like a a razor straight razor and he used that to slice their their throats and i'll go into that but it was not he would not come to their home whoever this killer was male or female would not show up at the home with his own axe with his own weapon that's interesting yeah because you think that like you know oh i'm the axe man of new orleans i'm just gonna have an axe on me Mm -mm. you know Nope, he just, I mean, back then, I guess people had axes, right? They had to be able to yeah. chop their wood and do their, like, wood-burning stoves or whatever. Right. So he would just assume there'd be one on site. It's a pretty big assumption. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. let's get into it. So on May 23rd, 1918, Catherine Maggio and her husband Joseph, who was an Italian grocer, they lived in a home at the corner of Upper Line and Magnolia Streets. And that night, the killer broke into their home and used a... First, he used a straight razor on their throats while they slept. Okay. Then, he bashed their heads in with an axe. Now, Catherine was almost entirely decapitated. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Whereas Joseph actually survived for a while, and he died minutes after his brother's discovered them so the the brothers actually lived in the same house and one of the brothers kind of heard noises and stuff was wondering what was going on and he went in and found them that's a lot of trauma yes and um they actually the police kind of pinned it on one of the brothers they he's they suspected that maybe one of the brothers had had done it but yeah okay so what one of the things they found was panel there was a panel in the back door that was chiseled out. And so the gil- the killer gained entry by chiseling out that panel and I guess maybe sticking his arm through and able to like unlock the door. It's very specific. Yeah, because it the the hole was too small for him to actually fit his body through. Right. At least that's what they suspect. So they think his arm went in and like he was able to unlock the door through that entrance. So police found bloody clothes that were believed to be the murderers. Like, he had changed into different clothes before he left the home so he wouldn't be suspicious as he walked away. Didn't we have that in another case we talked about? Um, maybe? It was the Valencia Axe murders. Where, like, they had... I'm, I, I swear... No, you're thinking of the... In the Velisca Axe murders, they washed their hands. Whoever the killer okay. was but washed was his still, bloody hands in water. It was still something like that. Where, okay. like, you know, instead of just, like bagging your shit up and leaving Mm -hmm. you're contaminating the entire crime scene with your shit right okay they also so i mentioned the straight razor that was used to cut their throats right well it was found um and apparently belonged to the brother 
which is why he got pinned for it for right. a time. Andrew Maggio, he had a barbershop, and a fellow employee told the, the law enforcement that Andrew had taken the, the razor home to have a nick honed from the blade, I okay. guess. And so that, that's what they had to do back then for those. Right. Um, so I guess the killer found it and then used, proceeded to use that on the couple. And then, moving on, a month later, there was a second attack. June 27th, 1918, Louis Bessumer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe, were attacked in the quarters at the back of Louis's grocery store. They were discovered by a bank, a baker who was making a delivery. So, you know how they would bring, like, freshly baked bread to the grocer? Yes. Okay, so the, this baker found them. Um, shortly after 7 a.m., again, there was a panel missing from the back door. Um, Lewis was struck above his right temple, causing his skull to fracture. He somehow survived this. Okay, yeah. That makes, I mean, people survive some crazy stuff. Yeah. So. The bloody axe was found in the bathroom. Harriet had been struck above her left ear. So he got Lewis in the right temple. He got Harriet in the left, above the left ear. And she was unconscious when the police arrived. Now, Harriet had clearly suffered a brain injury. And when the police questioned her, she made several strange claims. She said Lewis was a German spy. And as she lay dying, just, I believe it was two days after she had this. So they had tried to do a surgery to help repair her face. Okay. To fix her face where it was like partially paralyzed from the injury. Yeah. And two days after that, she's like dying. Like she, it, the surgery right. did not go well. She claimed that Lewis was the one who attacked her with a hatchet. Okay. So, so Lewis is actually arrested and charged with the murder based on this. And he served nine months in prison before finally being acquitted. Because how was he going to bash her in and then bash himself? Well, I know. So, like, that's that's the thing. Like, you know, back in, in those times, we didn't have the understanding. If you get a brain injury, mm-hmm. you're right, your perception of events is tragically skewed. Right. And so, I'm sure they believed her right off the bat. Like, saying, oh, no, mm-hmm. it was him that did it. Right. And, and that I'm... sucks. Because, like, that probably took time away from the actual investigation mm-hmm. of trying to find this guy. Yeah. And he's now two and two. Which it sounds like, I mean, he already has a clear, after that's one pattern of mm-hmm. cutting a hole out, getting in through wherever, using whatever item is yeah, whatever in, weapon is, is available. Which is typically an axe. Typically or... an axe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so on August 5th, 1918, Anna Schneider was attacked in her home on Elmira Street. She saw a man standing over her as she awoke. And he bashed her face repeatedly, cutting open her scalp. Now, here's the kicker. She was eight months pregnant when she was attacked. Her husband, Ed, found her face completely covered in blood. This guy's an asshole. Not Ed. You mean the axe man? The axe man. (laughs) So, Ed was able to get her to the hospital, and she survived. And she delivered her baby just two days later. Two days after being attacked. I'd be interested to know how that trauma of being attacked like that affected the delivery of the baby. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, we've talked about this before. Trauma affects everything. And 
affects not only your physical or your mental capacity, but also your physical, you know, physical mm-hmm. traits and, you know, if the stress of that, you know, affected the, the birth at all. And imagine being that baby, like, and growing up and, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah, um, and I don't have much more information. No, I mean, yeah. As to, you know, but five days after Anna was attacked, the axe man struck again. Joseph Romano. He's really quick, by the way. I've well, really, it's, like... He, he, it's like, well, he was like, let's see. There was May and then there was June. So there was about a month apart. Okay. And then it was August. Okay. A little over a month because it's like June 27th to August 5th. Now we're five days. With serial killers, there's this like frenzy that develops, right? Like yes. Where they're like, they get frenzied and they have to keep doing it more and more. So I guess that's what happened here. Do you think it's here. because? Do you think in this case is because of the notoriety of it, like the fact that I mean, the newspapers had been like you not know, more... well. Well, we'll see. Okay, hold on. You got more information. Let, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's let's hold on. Let's just listen first, <laughs> and then you can start commenting because there will be an important thing that I want to mention here very soon. You got something like an, I got something in my back pocket. You got an ace in the hole. Yeah. Okay. So five days after Anna is attacked, the axe man strikes again. Joseph. Romano was found by his nieces. This was an elderly man. Okay. After they had heard sounds of commotion, Joseph had been had suffered a serious blow to his head. The two young women saw the assailant, okay. and they described him as tall, dark, and heavy set, wearing a dark suit and a slouched hat, which I suppose was the style right. then during that time frame. Okay. Joseph died two days after the attack from a severe head trauma. So this is the first time we're actually getting a somewhat description of the accident. Yes, because someone actually saw the assailant. Okay. Uh-huh. So at this time, the local newspapers reported that men were arming themselves and keeping watch over their families. There was extra police that were being deployed. Okay. So the axe man was quiet, actually, for several months. Well, yeah, because he doesn't want to go out there when there's a bunch of guys with But guns. you were just saying there's, like, notoriety, notoriety. But now there's this threat because people are staying up and, and guarding their homes. He's backing down a He can't bit. get in there with to get an axe. But wait. Oh, of course. It's always a but wait. On March 10th, 1919, Italian immigrants Charles Cartamiglia... Well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to pronounce this correct... Charles Cortigilia. Okay. Cortamigilia. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> you Apologies. Tried your best. Charles Cortamigilia. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. And his wife, Rose, or Rosie, and their two-year-old daughter, Mary, were attacked at their home at the corner of Jefferson Avenue and 2nd Street in Gretna, Louisiana, which is a suburb of New Orleans. Now, their neighbor and fellow grocer... So another grocery store owner Mm -hmm. found them after hearing screams. Rosie was actually standing in the doorway and she had suffered a serious head wound. She was holding her dead daughter in her arms. Charles was lying on the floor, bleeding profusely, and they were rushed to the hospital where doctors determined that they had suffered skull fractures. Again, they found a back door panel had been chiseled out and likely how the, they had, you know, the, the killer had gained entry into the home. They found the bloody axe, which was obviously the weapon used. Charles was released within days, but Rosie was still being treated by doctors. And just like Harriet Lowe, Rosie made claims that her grocer neighbor, who uh, his last name was Giordano, that he was the one he was the one who had discovered them, right? And mm-hmm. his him and his eighteen year old son Frank. She made she claimed that they attacked 
the family that there was like a vendetta because they were both Italian grocery store owners and so there was like I guess some tension and the I guess that she she had made threat she had made claims that they had threatened and I guess then proceeded through with this attack okay so Charles denied his wife's accusations against his neighbors Unfortunately, the police were looking for scapegoats, right? They wanted something. They wanted, they didn't want to, I, I don't think they wanted to believe this was a serial killer, that this was, you know, someone that was attacking people. So they kept thinking these were isolated incidents. So they're like. They, they all meet like a very specific. Right. Right. Pattern. <laughs> like. But they, I mean, they it, arrested the two men. They arrested the two neighbors and charged them with murder. And they were actually found guilty. That's bullshit. And the father um, was, I believe the father was put in jail and the son, Frank, was actually sentenced to death. He was sentenced to death? Yeah. But a year later, I guess, before Frank is actually, you know, they they follow through on his... um, Death sentence? Yes. Rosie actually admits that she falsely accused them. That she, I guess... She finally admitted to the police that it was not true, that she it was done out of spite or whatever the what? situation was. Okay, can, can we pause for a second? Yeah. Because I have to process some stuff here. Okay. Okay, so Rosie says that it's the grocer and the son. Mm-hmm. And, but... Their fellow neighbor and grocer, yeah. yeah. So, my whole thing is with some of these situations, like, how do you not hear someone, like, chiseling away at, yeah, I don't at know. the door? If they're asleep. That's true. If they're asleep, I can get it. Yeah, in in almost all of these situations, they were asleep. Okay, so but here's the thing, like, so so okay, so someone comes to the door to help you. You're probably just you've got like severe head trauma. Yeah. Okay, I get that, but wouldn't the the police wouldn't they like be like okay. Maybe she's not thinking correctly. Maybe they were. They wanted a quick answer. They wanted to pin this on someone and get it done. Yeah. So. All right. Interestingly enough, her husband, Charles, ends up divorcing her after the trial. After those men were were char- Farce, you know, guilty, found guilty, and falsely accused by her, he divorced her. Well, So luckily the men were released. They didn't end up, you right. know, following through on the death sentence. Okay, so this is, this is what I was waiting for. This is my oh. ace in the hole or whatever. On March 13th, so this is three days... After the attack of um, Charles and Rosie, an alleged letter from the Axeman was published in the newspaper. I am going to read to you what it said because it's really cool. I love it. (laughs) I mean, I love it, but I don't love it. It's like, yeah. (laughs) I love this letter from a serial killer. You'll you'll like it too. (laughs) It's, It's like, um, yeah, I'll just let you listen. Okay. Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal, they have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orlinians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim another victim. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains 
of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I'm a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way that they've conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think that there's any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music. And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you are people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time to leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm or fantasy. The Axeman. So I give him... <laughs> some points for some awesome style because that's fucking baller. but what does that remind that's you my... of and we, and we haven't we haven't covered this case yet but the letter coming to the newspaper and like it's zodiac you're right no zodiac, no it? this is honey this is before i know zodiac. that i know it's before zodiac Think before axeman before axeman who really just just tell me who the ripper yes the ripper jack the yeah. ripper yes and he would sign his letters from hell? Yes. Oh, from hell. Yeah, you're right. So, I didn't even get that. Yeah. Just something to think about. Anyway. Well, so so real quick. Mm-hmm. That's, murdering is terrible. Don't do that. Yeah. And serial killers are not good, but that letter is, is, is something. Maybe you should have not been a serial killer and just had, you know, I don't know. Should have been an English teacher. Being an English or teacher. A writer. Or a writer or something like that because that's a really good letter. And you could have made a different a different type of life for yourself besides killing people with axes and those type of things. Well, and so, okay. First of all, a couple of my thoughts is, like, I love the supernatural. Like, he's writing this from hell that he's part of the, like... He's very ethereal. He's that. like a yeah. demon, and he, yeah, he's like working with his satanic mag- majesty, and he's close relationship with Angel of Death. Like, yeah. Um, but then also it sounds very biblical, because he talks about, like, the Passover, like, how um, he, if everyone's playing jazz, instead of the, the blood, 
that would be smeared on the. You better have a brass band. You better at have your a house. Yes, and then you will be passed over by the axe man. Um. So anyway, it, it. So researchers have speculated this letter was likely fake. You think so? Oh, yeah, that, that it could have it could have been written by either a jazz musician to promote their jazz music, or it could have been written by a newspaper writer, like a journalist. Um, and in fact, like they've also speculated that about um, Jack the Ripper, that the letters from that the newspaper received from Jack the Ripper may not have actually been from the killer. They could have been a journalist just trying to amp up publicity and sell newspapers. So, um, and it is important to note that on that Tuesday, March 19th of 1919, there were no murders. The entire city was actually filled with jazz music. So, New Orleans jazz um, clubs were filled to the brim. People who could afford to had jazz bands in their home, and they were, like, dancing and partying throughout the night. Jazz music was playing, you know, for people who couldn't afford a jazz band, they would play, you know, jazz music. And so, it... It, th- no one died that night. Okay. And then going back real quick to... That's the- it. Oh, well, hold on. That's, an, that's crazy to me that his stranglehold over an entire city has the entire city playing jazz music or going to jazz yeah. clubs the entire night. Yeah. Like, that's that's nuts. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if there were people who were stubborn or like, I'm not going to play my jazz music. I'm going to wait for the axe, man. I'm going to kill him. And whether or not he actually showed, you know, because I can't imagine that all people were. Well, yeah, you think of like the the really really poor people, or the like, really stubborn people, or really stubborn. Like, but I'm I mean, sh- yeah. But also the incredible fear that that had to have like had a stranglehold over New Orleans at that point. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think now might be a good time to take a break, okay. and let's make another cocktail. Okay, sounds good to me. And we'll be right back. Okay. Hi, y'all. This is Steph from uh, Spirited Spirits. While we're taking a quick break, I wanted to let you know how you can support the podcast. We've had several people reach out and ask us. um, The most important thing you can do is to share the link to our podcast with your family and friends. So whether you're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using for your podcast, feel free to share our podcast with your family and friends. We would love for more to get more listeners and to hear from more of you. Um, you feel free to email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com. We love to hear stories from you all, and we want to gather a great collection of listener stories that we can eventually share on a future podcast. Also follow us on Instagram at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast and on Twitter at Spirited Spirits. And we just recently signed up for Buy Me a Coffee, which is a way you can donate to our podcast. So we will include that on our link tree, which we have included on our Instagram. So feel free to check that out and see what you think. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. All right. And we're back. So one thing I did want to mention, um, you know, I said that researchers have speculated that the letter was fake. Could have been written by a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. Ironically, in 1919, Joseph John Davila wrote the song The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, Don't Scare Me, Papa. Uh, it's actually published by New Orleans-based World Music Publishing Company. And um, could have been written by him. He could have written the letter as a way to promote his song, his jazz song. 
Um, and on the cover, it actually depicts a family playing music and having these like frightened, like terrified looks on their face as they're anticipating the axe man and like hoping they're going to be passed over. But couldn't couldn't that just be him taking what happened and using, using it as a ploy to get like more yeah, things? So, because I feel like that that would be more. I don't know. I feel like that's that might be the better, not the better thing, but like the the most logical way of thinking of who why would you do that oh well here's this acting you know that's happening this whole night of jazz i'm a jazz musician i'm gonna release an album yeah yeah yeah. i hear you i'm just saying that. researchers have speculated that could be the case right okay so months later now so that was march we're now looking at august august okay. 10th of 1919 grocer steve boca what's with the grocers i'm gonna get to that okay was attacked by an axe-wielding assailant in his bedroom. He survived, but he lost his memory. Okay. On September 3rd, so a month later, 1919, Sarah Lawman was attacked by an intruder. She was actually found unconscious by her neighbors, and she had suffered a severe head wound and was missing teeth, which, oh, teeth. Ooh. I know, you have a teeth Teeth and thing. fingernails. Ooh. Okay. Um, she also survived, but could not remember the attack. The bloody axe was left in her yard. On October 27th, 1919, Esther, Esther and Mike Pepitone were asleep in their home. Esther awoke to the sounds of her husband screaming. She found him covered in blood and a large axe wielding man was fleeing from the scene. Mike had been struck in the head and blood splatter covered the entire room. This was allegedly the last Axeman attack. Now, it's important to know, it's important to know, police do not believe that these were robberies. Nothing was taken from the home. In all of these situations, there, there was nothing that had been removed from the home, aside from the weapon, which was actually used and then left at the scene. Well, I think with the letter, I mean, it, it definitely shows that this is an act of terror. Right. And there's like there was jewelry that was lying out. There was there was money that was sitting out. None of that was taken. Right. So clearly, robbery was not the motivation here. Now, some have suggested that his attacks were ethnically motivated, mm. because most of his victims were Italian immigrants or Italian Americans who were grocers. As you noted, you were like, "What's with the grocers?" Huh. That's because they believe. That he was attacking Italians specifically who had been, who, so a little bit of background on this, and I'm not going to dive too much into history because I don't feel like I can really You don't give feel it, like you can speak on it? Yes. Okay. I can't give it, you know, do justice. But when Italian immigrants came to America, they were oftentimes working alongside African American folk. Yes. Um. In, you know, in plantations and stuff and, and doing hard labor. Italians saved up their money. These Italian immigrants would save up their money. And within a few years, they were able to kind of break away from that. Okay. And, and branch out and start their own businesses. So a lot of times they would become grocers. Okay. And there was some fear and anxiety around Italian immigrants and the fear of um, some information I found was like concerns over the mafia mm-hmm. and Italians 
um, the Italian mafia specifically, like, hitting, like, um, at potentially attacking people or targeting people. And so there was fear of Italians. Like, there, there, so could this killer have been motivated with a racist mindset to attack people of so just Italian? For, just so unpacking that. So uh -huh. the fear is, is that Italian American immigrants who are grocers would possibly be part of the mafia. Well, it was and... it was more than that. It was just this fe this fear of Italian Americans okay. that they had come to America, they had made something of themselves, and there could have apparently there was a man who was attacked. There was like a um, a wealthy businessman or like politician who was attacked, and they blamed it on like the Italian mafia, and so it became mm -hmm. this whole big thing. And so there was. Some people who've speculated that this killer could have been racially or ethnically motivated to attack Italians mm. because of this, like, fear right. um, that was kind of bubbling up about, you know, that the Italian mafia. That doesn't happen nowadays at all. That, right. That's well, been completely, you know... Race. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, well, and if you, yes. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I know you are. I know you so, are. Um, so, so that's interesting. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So, researchers have theorized that maybe also not all of these attacks were actually done by the Axeman. Um, could have been a copycat or a series of copycat killers. Well, did the cops release the information regarding the... I think some of the information did get what leaked about, out. What about the whole, like... I'm cutting like a hole in the thing and I don't know. using I've, the axe of the family because I feel like that's very specific. Yeah, crime scene like invent like investigation. That's that's very, that's very important information. Probably want to keep it close to the chest. Yeah, I don't know. Well, some people <sighs> also some well so some researchers have also speculated if there wasn't an Italian mafia, but it was they were essentially attacking like these were hits against other Italians by the mafia. Okay, so let me, so that, okay, let me explain. Okay. There was a possible suspect named Joseph Mumphrey. Okay. Mumphrey. Um, so in particularly the Pepitones case. Okay, so Esther, do you remember Esther? Yeah. And her husband, Mike. Okay. Esther had survived. Okay, Mike died. Esther remarried. Her second husband actually disappeared. On the anniversary of her first husband's death. Never seen again. Soon after, Joseph Mumphrey showed up at her home demanding $500 in jewelry and threatened to kill her the same way he had killed her husband. Okay. She shot and killed him. She had a gun. Okay. She shot and killed him. Esther was arrested and she claimed that Joseph was the same man that she saw who killed her first husband. The axe. She said that was the axe man. He was the one who was in their home who attacked them. So. But she shot and killed him. She shot and killed him when after she. So not the first time, honey. Right. It was after the. This when she got remarried. Okay. This man Joseph Mumphrey showed up at her home and threatened her. It was after. And she the, said, "This is the same man who attacked my first husband. Now right. my second husband is missing. He's saying that he killed." So okay. she's claiming that Joseph was the same okay. man she I, saw. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying now. Yeah. Okay. So there was evidence that Joseph was actually part of this blackmail ring targeting Italians. Okay. So. It checks out now. He had been in and out of prison, and those prison stunts 
and the times he was out of prison correlate to the killings for the Axeman. You know how there was those gaps of time? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's so he's probably the top suspect. Never been proven. He was shot dead, so no one can actually, you know, you know, he's obviously no. dead. But like no one could could have questioned him. The police couldn't have questioned him and asked him like where were you during the killing of blah, blah, blah. Did because... the Axeman killing stop after he was dead? Yes. Well, the Axeman killing stopped after Esther and Mike in October of 20... 27th, 1919. Although, and I didn't include this here in my notes, there were potentially some other killings that occurred that had similar, but they are not attributed to the Axeman. So could the Axeman have moved on to a different city? Because these, the particular attacks that I saw, that I like, um, had learned about, could those have been the Axeman, but he's moved on to a different city because they were, he was no longer in New Orleans. So it's kind of hard, you know, it's like with the Velisca murders, you know, we talked about those, or Velisca murder. Well, it was multiple people in one home who were killed, right? right. But then we talked about the idea, and I don't have them here in this notebook, but we talked about the idea that like the axe murderer in the Velisca case, could have taken a train and traveled. Do you remember that we talked about yes, that? Yes, we talked about that. And he yeah. could have traveled to a different town and 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 killed other people. Similar situation where he would go into the home, he would, like, kill them, wash his hands, and leave a bowl of water behind mm -hmm. and eat some of the food. Remember right. that? Yeah. Could this be a similar situation? Could we have had an axe murderer who was committing crimes in different parts of the country using the rail system. I don't know if it fits the same. Like, I can't say that it's, hmm. but I don't know. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, an interesting, it's an interesting concept. It sounds like that guy that you talked about at the end. I mean, like that's. Joseph Mumphrey. Jo Joseph Mumphrey sounds like the top suspect, you know, with the gaps of him being, being in, in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then him being racially motivated with the Italian He immigrants. was a part of a blackmail ring for, yeah, right. targeting Italians. It's very interesting. Are there any hauntings? Uh, well, new, there's hauntings all I'm, over New well, Orleans. Well, there's hauntings all over New Orleans. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, just specifically related to I did not, I did, that was not really part of my research, mm -hmm. ironically, because, you know, I love spooky shit, like right. hauntings. And, I mean, I think there's enough supernatural fun with the, like, letter he wrote and claiming to be part of the demonic... You know, in, in the maybe angel not, of death. Maybe not called the... supernatural fun. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. But I mean, like, his letter, you know, he claims to be a supernatural entity, a demon. But, and Well, my whole thing is, like, you know. But, we... yes, I. you know what? So, real quick. I don't mean to interrupt you. I love you. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you, but I love you. <laughs> I'm sure that the pl the locations. Right. There probably is some residual energy. Or there's probably well, something there. But I did not find anything in my research that. Well, and kind of putting, and, and I always feel like I want to put a through line in our podcast episodes. And I feel like the one thing with me is I always feel like when there is a place or a city that has a lot of, like, trauma mm -hmm. related to murders and, and just a lot of death and, and those type of things, mm -hmm. there's a higher probability that you're going to see those experiences of mm -hmm. supernatural stuff yeah well because it's energy like we've t i think we've talked a little bit about this maybe not i can't remember if it's been on a podcast but 
what are we if not energy? Right. Energy does not go away, right? It yeah. doesn't, it just like changes forms or it, um, right? Isn't this right? This is, I feel like this is a form of physics. <laughs> yeah, it's physics. And science, like yeah. energy, um, yeah. And so it can't. Even, even, even we're talking about matter, like, like solid to liquid to gas. Yeah. Well, so if we are energy, yes. we're not, when we die, we can't just poof and be gone. Like, our energy has to transfer in some way. It has to exist in some way. Whether that's the soul, which I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, so, but if that energy is residual, like meaning uh, reliving the horrific murder or attack that happened mm -hmm. to someone... Um, I can, I can only imagine that people who live in that, if they, if those homes, I, I mean, if, I think on BuzzFeed Unsolved, they went to some of those locations, like they. Right. And, and I think that's, that's my whole thing is that, you know, in some of these trauma filled areas that those, that energy, as you call it, mm -hmm. is almost like on a repeat. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, constantly reliving the same mm -hmm. event. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I believe in like some of these hauntings is that. You're not just getting ghosts trying to like communicate or like intelligently. That. Yeah, but they're they're reliving their their worst trauma. Well, it also makes me think of about um, oh like X-rays, and mm -hmm. when you like get an X-ray, and the um, energy that's emitted, mm -hmm. and some of that energy might be left behind. Like you know how they put those things on your body when you get an x-ray yeah to kind of protect your organs and stuff because they don't want it right hurting you yeah it makes me think that like in the moment of such a horrific tragic event could there be this energy that just blasts out yeah and emits itself into the environment and then therefore that's what that residual energy is and then it continues to replay and mm -hmm. people who live their experience like screams or whatever so I'm gonna sounds make, i'm gonna make a comic book reference because oh, that's God. the best way for me to like <laughs> sometimes like understand things okay. it's dr manhattan yeah exactly in Watchmen. so it's like you know when dr manhattan dies is that what is he what it, what is he again it's he's not a gamma right? he's a physicist no but gamma rays that's that's um that's you're thinking hulk hulk but what is he uh, I mean, he's, I guess, I guess radiation. Radiation. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's, that's what I was, okay, radiation. So, but so he, so he dies, but he experiences all of his life, not only past, present, and future all at once. Mm -hmm. So he's experiencing the future of mankind, the present, and also his own past. So like he, he at one point in the comic book and in the miniseries, which is a great miniseries and we're going to topic, but if you have HBO Max, watch Watchmen, it's great. Um... He's, he's like, you know, I'm experiencing all these realities at once. So I kind of feel like that with these ghosts, you know, or these energies, that they are experiencing those traumas over and over again. Yeah, it's the radiation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, let's leave them with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let them kind of chew on that for a bit. Chew on that radiation. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're going to go ahead and call it a night. And um, we're really excited for some of the next few um, yeah. episodes that we're going to be. It's getting ready to be spooky season. It's our season, favorite guys. time of year. We it's... are so excited for spooky season. So we hope you will continue to join us. And if you aren't already, 
We would love it if you could follow us on Instagram. That's actually where we posted uh, a picture of the cocktail that we're drinking tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Axe Murderer. Um, the recipes on there and the image. If you go to at spirited underscore spirits underscore podcast, you can follow us on Instagram. We're also on Twitter at spirited spirits. And just send us an email. Like, let it, if you have some great ideas for like how we can improve the podcast or uh, potential topics you'd like us to cover. Or your own scary, like, scary stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your yeah. own scary stories. And or experiences. Because experiences. We, we do want to talk about those at some point as well. Yes. So email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah. Yeah, so join us next week as we talk about spirits while we sip on some spirits. Bye. Bye.